0: so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.
1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day,
2: we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news.
1: Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at bloomberg.com slash podcast.
2: I want to bring in Brent Schuette. He's the chief investment strategist over at Northwestern Mutual Wealth Management. They got $225 billion in retail assets under management. Uh, Brent, I love the way you guys have been writing about um, the market, about investors, by dividing them into three camps. You've got the the too much camp, worried about um, this inflationary boom. The too little camp, worried that I guess growth has peaked. And then the too expensive camp um, that is concerned about valuations. Let's start there because we're so deep into the E uh, season right now of the P.E. What's your view on the value of of the market?
3: Well, to me, value is a relative term. And so it's not an absolute call. And so, yes, stocks are more expensive. But when you look at it compared to the alternatives, the 10-year treasury, for example, at 150 and change, they still look cheap in the 19 to 20 times earnings does not appear to be overly expensive, just given that backdrop. And I do think there are areas of the market that are cheaper, and they're going to benefit from still strong economic growth, things like small caps, things like value stocks. I think those areas will do well in the coming quarters as economic growth remains strong.
1: So, Brent, does that suggest that you're perhaps a little bit overweight, those types of you know, reopening trades or cyclical trades, and perhaps a little bit underweight some of the more growthy tech areas or healthcare or those types of things?
3: Yeah, we've skewed our portfolio towards that direction. And so we were much more overweight in that area uh, post-April uh, of last year, and we took it back a bit. But still, in general, we do think that um, even tying in the, the peak commentary, I think economic growth is more like a plateau. And it's all this talk about stagflation, I think, ignores the fact that economic momentum is still really strong. So you have the six-month annualized LEI up 13.1%, which means there's a lot of momentum still in the economy. And if you look at the underlying fundamentals of the consumer, they are still in fantastic shape. Uh, and so, I, I think that as you continue to see the economic growth remain strong, those areas of the market do much better when economic growth is strong in the here and now. Technology is more of a secular grower. Um, I just think it takes a little bit of a pause here to reflect the fact that you do have some reopening going on. You do have some strength in cyclical areas like energy stocks. I think that's the the way that we're going to move forward in the coming quarters.
2: Yeah, People have been uh, defining stagflation in ways that I never would have thought of. Um, <laughs> you know, as as a kid who grew up... In the 70s, I always learned it was contraction in growth and uh, and, uh, uh, you know, runaway inflation, the likes of which we experienced around the time of the oil shortages. Um, What we're what we're hearing now is people are thinking, you know, growth's not going to be enough, only three or four percent, which is far from a contraction, whereas inflation we're actually seeing measured at more than five percent. Are you concerned about inflation? Does it? I mean, I heard the term today, persistently transitory, <laughs> and I thought that is just ridiculous. There you go. Um, uh, w- Are you concerned about inflation?
3: Yeah, so this is something we've been thinking about and something we've been hedging against, and, and it, it actually are recommending to own commodities and tips and have been for some time. And so inflation, to me, during this cycle is going to be more of a worry. So you think about the last economic cycle. We woke up every day and we wondered about deflation. I think this cycle is going to be the opposite, because policymakers are going to continue to push on demand. The question will be, can supply keep up with it? Right now, I do believe this is transitory, but my definition, I think, is perhaps a bit different than others. They think of transitory only as time. I think of it as, in, what is the underlying root cause? And to me, you still have labor market slack. You still have manufacturing capacity slack that I think will come uh, into, the, into uh, kind of the forefront here, you're going to see people have to come back to work because extended unemployment benefits are ending. Um, you're going to see uh, some of these supply chains begin to heal. You're seeing some actions right now being taken to do so. And certainly it's going to stick around for a while, but I don't think this is yet the permanent type because I, I do think that as COVID um, cases hopefully continue to roll over, I think you'll see ports open more often. I think some of the supply chains will come back to normal. You're certainly going to see a push back more from the goods side, which is what is imported, uh, back to service sector spending as people come back out in public once again.
1: Well, I'll give you an anecdotal point on inflation. A gallon of gas in New York City now is north of $5. That's the first time it's been there in about seven years. So uh, that's inflation for a lot of folks that are looking to fill up their car. So, Brent, talk to us about the Federal Reserve here. You know, a, a lot of observers, I think, say, hey, this Fed's done a pretty darn good job here. Are you confident that this Fed is going to navigate this tapering and these rate increases uh, in a way that will be, you know, not shocking on a negative basis to the markets?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's where they're lined up. They want to try to do everything they possibly can to get more economic growth and to get those people that are still on the sidelines back into the labor market. And I think they're going to be as patient as they possibly can be. You're seeing that right now. And it's funny, you mentioned talking about a hawkish Fed. I've heard that term a few times. I heard it used yesterday for someone who moved their rate hikes uh, into November of next year. Right, <laughs> <right>. That's hardly <laughs> hawkish. Um, you're talking about a Fed that put on a sheet of paper, and I know it's just a dot plot, they put 1.75% is their median expected rate at the end of 2024. Yep. If inflation is 2.1%, then, that means we're still going to have negative real rates in 2024, which is still stimulative. Now, that's not a promise by any means, but I do, I do think it shows that the Fed, despite all the talk that's out there right now, is going to do everything they possibly can to be measured and patient. Uh, And they certainly have a viewpoint towards the market because, remember, at the zero bound, the way they impact the economy, um, they don't have much downside room to lower rates. The way they impact it is by um, lowering uh, treasury yields longer term, which pushes people towards equities. Uh, And so certainly, if you think back to 2019, they were expecting to hike three times, and they lowered rates three times, not because their forecast changed, but because they, quote, unquote, were listening to the market. Right.
1: All right, Brent, thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate getting your perspective. Brent Schutte, Chief Investment Strategist for Northwestern Mutual Wealth Management, joining us on the phone from Milwaukee, giving us his thoughts, continuing uh, to be bullish on these markets uh, going forward. And again, major move up in the markets today. The S&P up 1.34%. This is Bloomberg.
4: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S T I F E L.com.
1: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
2: We've still got a lot coming up in the program. Liz Young joins us, Chief Investment Strategist from SoFi, to give us her market outlook and investment strategy. And what a day to do it on, as I was saying, uh, Liz, earlier, the, the best day that we've had in markets since July. Because the E is rising in the price-earnings ratio. What's your outlook in terms of uh, value, valuations?
0: Yeah, hi. I'm so excited to be here. Um, It's a great day in the markets. I actually just came out with a column today (laughs) that says uh, my outlook for the fourth quarter is maybe not quite as rosy. So as much as I love a rally in the markets, especially a day like today where we've had quite a few days of down or maybe flat markets, Um, It's nice to see this, and especially after we get positive earnings news. So um, outlook, though, into the end of the year, here are a couple points I would make. We made our most recent high on September 2nd in the S&P, and we haven't seen another new high since then. So this is actually a pretty long stretch um, that we've gone without a new high, relatively speaking. We're used to hitting new highs, it seemed like, on a weekly basis for a while there. So we've, we've had a longer stretch without a new high. And I don't think that we're going to see another new one into the end of the year, but that does not mean that we are going to be negative. So if we just look at some of the numbers here, if we on the S&P went back down and just kind of sniffed at the 200-day moving average, that would be about 5.5% from where we are right now. Even if we ended the year at that 200-day moving average, we'd still be up about 11% for the calendar year. So this has been a tremendously strong year. It's been, it was a tremendously strong first half. Uh, and then obviously a rotation, but still a strong summer. So a lot of the gains have happened in the earlier part of the year. I think that there are some headwinds in the market, the first of which is that we do have a little bit of a slowing in momentum on that macro data. We've seen a lot of GDP forecasts be revised downward. We have earnings coming in reasonably strong, but I think what we're going to start hearing once we get past these bank earnings is from the companies that are dealing with supply chain issues, that are dealing with, inflationary issues that maybe they haven't entirely passed through yet, and they're dealing with labor shortages. And the big issue that I think we're going to face this year that's different from last year is that, and and the title of my column this week is No Ace Left in the Hole, is that we don't have a catalyst on the calendar. So last year we got past the presidential election, that was a positive. We got really positive vaccine news about a week after that, another huge positive that drove a market rally. I don't know that we're going to have a catalyst like that this year.
1: Liz, you know, you mentioned how we we're hitting, you know, seemingly new highs on a daily basis a little bit earlier in this in this quarter here. It feels like for a lot of the bulls, they come back and they're just saying basically this is a market that just has to move higher or will move higher because there really are no other places to put meaningful capital to work. That That's not a very rigorous analysis, but boy, it certainly seems to be right on many days. But you're not buying that, are you?
0: No, I mean, I am buying that. And so I want to be clear, even if we don't hit new highs into the end of the year, I'm not saying get out of equities because that's absolutely true. There isn't another good option. And even if the 10-year rises up, let's say it goes above 2%, it's still not that good of an option compared to equities, because you don't have price appreciation potential that matches that of the equity market. And even a 10-year yielding 2% isn't that much above A lot of dividend paying stocks so you can still get dividends in the equity market and more price potential in the equity market i absolutely think that that's where investors should be i just think that we've seen much of the strong gains for the year already this year so if you're an investor and you have money on the sidelines if you have cash on the sidelines then the question becomes okay if the question isn't should i put it in stocks i mean yes you should put it in stocks but then the question is where in stocks, right? And what I would say to that is, let's say we go down a little bit further from here. Who knows what the pattern is going to look like? But if if I'm right and we go down a little bit further from here, and then we have maybe a mediocre bounce into the end of the year, I think it is those cyclical mm. sectors that are going to lead in that bounce. So here's another, this is, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but if you look at what's happened through summer and rallies that were driven through summer, they were really driven by those big cap tech stocks, or at least the the top heavy part of the S&P 500. If those aren't the stocks that are leading us, all the other stocks have to work a lot harder in order to bring the overall index up because they make up a smaller percentage. So if those cyclical sectors do well into the end of the year... It's still going to feel like a lot of hard work to get there. But I would be looking at financials. I'd be looking at industrials. I would be looking at dividend paying stocks because there is some inflation protection built in.
2: In the overall market, and we just got about 30 seconds left, I don't want to take your <coughs> Garth Brooks quote too far, but <laughs> if all your cards are on the table and you got no ace left in the hole, does that mean we don't have to worry about too much volatility?
0: or do you think uh, you can we take could start hit a my garth quote as far as you want yeah. i've got garth quotes all day long <laughs> um, so i think i think there is more volatility that would come but here's the thing volatility is not a bad thing and volatility happens when we're going through a rotation so the the line about all my cards are on the table that's sort of there isn't any really big positive news catalyst coming right, right. all we have to do now is kind of trudge through the mud Hope that earnings come in strongly and that nothing goes wrong. I think the Fed continues to taper, mm-hmm. and we have to right. really hand the baton back to fundamentals.
1: Liz, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time here. Liz Young, Chief Investment Strategist for SoFi. And quoted,
2: reminding us uh, about all of the great lyrics from <laughs> Garth, Brooks. Out of Garth Brooks. I just you know, went through back through the catalog when I was reading her notes, and uh, I the double live album is so
1: good. I'm going to go back and <laughs> listen to it later on. <laughs> All right. We had some uh, Mr. James Gorman on our radio and TV airways just earlier this morning, and he generated a lot of headlines on the Bloomberg Terminal. One of them is he's not buying this whole inflation's transitory thing so much. And I want to bring that up with our next guest, Pete Earle, economist at the American Institute for Economic Research located in Massachusetts. So, Pete, again, James Gorman, CEO of Morgan Stanley, kind of saying he's seeing some more pronounced and profound inflation out there in the economy how do you see that
5: good morning yeah uh, thanks for having me so um yeah i mean so, so first i find the whole transitory story uh, a little irksome to be honest because first because we had powell uh earlier this year chairman powell said he didn't see any unwelcome inflation then in april he said we were likely to see more pressure and they would be temporary. So it's a somewhat self serving narrative at this point. But the more important thing, I think, is that anyone who knows or has studied monetary economics knows that we have what are called injection effects, right? There are cantillon effects and other um, schools of economics call them. And it means that the disproportionate impact that new money has makes permanent distortions. So even if this inflation is transitory, whether that's in three months or five years. The higher prices paid, uh, allocation decisions, all that sort of thing, and other outcomes, are going to be baked in. They're going to be permanent. Um, I'm way more concerned if we're going to bring up the ugliest word in economics, and one of the ugliest words in <laughs> English, stagflation. Yeah. Uh, I'm way more concerned about deflation than the stag.
2: You know, I, 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 I'm totally feeling you that – um the transitory thing was annoying. But it's also been a gift for people interested in economics. I took a deep dive into Kane's <laughs> long run again the other day, um, just just for fun, because, you know, in the long run, um, everything is transitory. Also Mohammed El Harian pointed out today that he heard someone, um, someone serious, say persistently transitory, which I really <laughs> appreciated. Um, on on the stagflation side of things, Deutsche Bank had a great report out a couple days ago showing that uh, clients had at least three different definitions for what stagflation is. How would you define stagflation?
5: Yes. I mean, the basic definition is, uh, again, a really nasty portmanteau, is that we have stagnation, which is, of course, slowing or negative growth. And we have inflation. And there's a, there's a, I think there's some pretty good arguments against stagflation occurring right now. Um, but I also think that what stagflation looks like today, for those of us who are, in my case, a kid in the 70s, you know, I don't think even if we did have definition, uh, you know, definitional stagflation, it doesn't mean we're going to see 18 or 20% interest rates. I mean, from here, 6% interest rates are elevated and growth of 2.5% is is down. So it doesn't mean it's better, but it does mean that I think people are looking at the 70s and they're thinking of it the same way they think of disco balls as they do, you know, Mm. the actual economic numbers. It would look different. But um, basically, you know, right now, households have, and, and businesses have, Uh, very high levels of cash, actually record levels in some cases, and publicly traded companies have uh, the highest operating margins they've had in almost 30 years. Um, So both of those speak to a level of savings and potential consumption that I think puts the idea of slowing growth to rest, at least at the the current time. Pete, how about
1: some of these global supply chain issues that so many companies in so many different industries are experiencing? We hear them on these quarterly conference calls. The management teams talk about them. How do you think that's going to impact global growth uh, in the remainder of this year going into next year?
5: Yeah, so it's definitely a drag, but, I mean, I think – the recent uh, step that was taken, and I don't, I don't think it necessarily needed um, government intervention, but um, the fact that the ports are going to be working 24-7 in many cases, um, some of the things being done by private firms, which include buying fleets of aircraft, chartering or purchasing ships, I think, I think that right now is the big link that will serve to, to, to sort of relax some of these... Uh, if
2: you can find operations. anyone to work there, Right.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the big issue is that we have the, this great reconsideration whereby people are saying, did I really enjoy what I was doing? You know, can I take some time off, retrain myself, whatever? I think that, that's an issue, too. And that's, that's very difficult because that's not economics. That's, that's, that's sociological. That's psychological. But, I mean, what we've seen in, 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 in the last two days in CPI and PPI is really what we would expect. Um, the retail prices, the the, the 5.3% year-over-year, I think most of that is not really monetary so much as it is shipping problems. What we see in PPI among producers, where you have capital-intensive industries, where things are produced, they're seeing actual inflation, you know, where you have yeah. More dollars competing for the same number of things, whether it's materials, oil, et cetera. That's where I think um, shipping containers. That's where I think the monetary part is. Shipping containers, yeah, one twenty-five you know, thousand dollars in one case.
2: Exactly. I mean, the CEO of Fastenal was talking about how thirty-five percent of their containers that would normally be sent across the country by rail, uh, the United States, that is, have to be now manually offloaded and put on eighteen-wheelers. And that quadruples the cost. In some cases, drives it up six times what it would normally be. So I thought it was incredibly fascinating. Pete, great to get some time with you. I hope we can get you back on again. Pete Earle is an economist for the American Institute for Economic Research. Coming to us from Great Barrington, Massachusetts, this is Bloomberg.
1: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Certainly the hardest working analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence this week has to be Allison Williams, Senior Global Banks Analyst. Uh, She joins us here in our interactive broker studio in between bank earnings conference calls. And Allison, tons of companies reporting this week in your space. You know, as I listen to some of the commentary from these management teams, they remain pretty confident in the outlook as well. What are your takeaways?
6: they do. it's a strong quarter, strong equities trading, uh, huge MA fees those are sort of the highlights for the banks and then on the um, you know the other side of the house the net interest income in, coming in line I think there's sort of enough to hope for in terms of um, you know green shoots uh, for loans next year. there is some variation in results so Bank of America you can see is trading positively today. Um, you know, and part of this is really just a strategy in how they're managing their balance sheet. They're, you know, deploying excess liquidity, so that's helping their net interest income a bit. Uh, Jamie Dimon saying he's, you know, waiting to do that, um, and so he's has a, excess cash sitting there. So maybe just a little bit by- different strategies.
2: What do you mean by that? Deploying their liquidity in terms of uh, lending money?
6: Not lending. So no. basically, all the money they have because no one's borrowing. So all the money they have. <laughs> So, so if you think about their balance sheet, we have tremendous deposit growth. We've had that since the pandemic began. Um, we don't have people borrowing. So the cash can either sit there or you can buy securities. So the, the risk of, of doing the latter, right, is that you're taking duration risk. You're buying um, securities when rates are extremely low to get a little bit of income. And so it can depend a little bit on your int- interest rate views. Uh, and that also takes away, when we look at interest rate sensitivity, so Bank of America traditionally has had a lot of exposure to long rates rising, but because of their change in strategy, you know, that's come down a little bit, but you're seeing it come through in the interest income.
1: All right, let's go to the area that's most near and dear to my heart, which is, are my friends on Wall Street going to have a big payday this year? Year. I mean, Um, it looks
6: like it. I I mean, you know, first of all, as I said, you know, the M and A fees. We're talking record fees. IPOs super strong. Competition is very strong. So what we're um, expecting is that uh, bankers are going to get paid, traders are going to get paid. It's going to be a very good year for compensation. And it's going to be a good year next year. We're already looking at that. And so if you think about the banks, actually last year, they were able to hold the compensation ratio down. A lot of that was just because, you know, the massive surge. A lot of that was electronic trading. Um, I think a lot of people did not expect you know, this year to be as good as it was. So, um, you know, perhaps there was everyone expected normalization that really hasn't happened. Things have come in a little bit, but we're still above where we were a couple of years ago. And to the extent that there's still a positive outlook going forward, um, you know, that's going to keep the market uh, competitive.
2: Goldman Sachs tomorrow. um, What are you expecting?
6: Goldman Sachs has some has a really <laughs> high bar now. Um, I mean the, the, the numbers we're getting, uh, the read across should be really positive, right? They're the leader in M and A revenue. They're not always the leader on transactions, but they far outweigh everyone, you know, basically forever in terms of revenue. So that bar is uh raised jp morgan is sort of the one to beat there in terms of dollars even though morgan stanley had the the biggest increase um uh well Morgan Stanley up there as well and on the equity trading side uh you know go you know morgan stanley is the one to beat there there we expect they keep their lead in this quarter but uh, goldman could you know take the leadership for the year is something they haven't done in, in a while. And and so to some extent, that's sort of bragging rights because they're both really big. They're both profitable in that business. And as we talked about, comp is higher, but the returns this year because of the revenue surge are, are really strong. And so um, really raising the bar in terms of expectations for Goldman tomorrow.
2: Allison, thanks very much for joining us. Allison Williams, senior global banks analyst and incredibly busy woman this week (laughs) from Bloomberg Intelligence as we get just an absolute slew of bank earnings. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter
1: at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.